20 minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Welcome to another edition of a Pack-A-Day podcast. We are now more than 100 episodes old. It is Sunday, November the 4th. I am your host, Jacob Westendorf, enjoying a big, big victory and a mocking of Trace McSorley by the Michigan Wolverines last night. I am stoked. I am happy. The Revenge Tour is in full force. Joined with me, as always, is new car owner, Thankfully, finally, Zach, our national nightmare is over. Zach Jacobson. Zach, what car did you get, and is this one going to run for more than 10 minutes? Oh, God. Well, now you spoke it into existence, and now it'll probably break down tomorrow morning. Um, it is a 2013 Hyundai Sonata, and I am in love with it. I was, well, to be fair, I was in love with the first one, too, but, you know, that lasts about 12 hours. <laughs> um. Yeah, just another week, another new car. Hopefully this one lasts me. But we got a game tonight, Jacob. We do, and it's a rather big one. Uh, The greatest quarterback of all time will take on Tom Brady and the New England Patriots. (laughs) I'm sure you've heard about it all week long. The Packers are playing the Patriots for the first time since 2014. It is the first time that Rodgers will play in Foxborough. The last time the Packers were in Foxborough, Matt Flynn nearly led them to a victory. One of the most embarrassing plays in the history of the franchise happened that night. Uh, That would be the kick return by offensive lineman Dan Connolly. A lot to unpack here, Zach. The biggest thing uh, that I think we need to get to is, first of all, Rodgers and Brady, as much as that is the storyline, Those two will not be on the field at the same time. This game really is about what Green Bay's defense will be able to do against Brady and what New England's defense will be able to do against Aaron Rodgers. The Packers' offense last week showed some signs of life, but again, that maddening inconsistency that has plagued them really all season long showed its ugly head again, and because of that, the Packers were unable to blow the doors open against the Los Angeles Rams, and they let one get away. Uh, the Patriots have been kind of doing what they do. They start the season slow. They had a Sunday night game in Detroit where they lost, and everybody's wondering if the end is near. I was very much in the mindset of I'm not falling for it until I see the Patriots sitting at 2-7. and seven. I will never believe that the end is coming for the Brady-Belichick machine. 
if nothing else, the Patriots are annoying. The Patriots are... I don't even have a real good word for it. It's almost like it's stupid that this is how good they are. Every single year, they're so consistent. They win every game that you expect them to. They win the games you don't expect them to. And they always just seem to find a way. And I know, Zach, that this is the team that the Packers are often compared to because Tom Brady's a Hall of Fame quarterback. Aaron Rodgers is going to be a Hall of Fame quarterback someday. And the Packers have only been able to win the Super Bowl once in that time frame. And the Patriots, obviously, they are in at least the AFC Championship game, it seems like, every single year. I find myself hating the Patriots because of jealousy, but I also admire them because of their consistency and the way that they always seem to find a way to do the right thing. They're so well coached, situationally, football-wise, they are the best situational football team in in the league. Uh, Zach, tell me a little bit, because obviously this is a big storyline coming in, is how fans feel about the Patriots. What's your kind of sense about how they are, who they are, and what they've been able to do for the last, it seems like, 20 years? Well, it, it's textbook football, and you kind of kind of goes back to what you said. You, know? you, you hate them, but you admire them. You know, you... You hate to respect them, but you kind of have to. You know, they've earned that from not just not just fans, but like opposing opponents, just because of how well they're coached, because of how well they execute on the field, and they're a very disciplined football team. And Bill Belichick keeps everything in check, as does Robert Kraft. They're from top to bottom. The organization is just completely the epitome of what you want to see from an NFL franchise, and that's why. Tom Brady has five Super Bowls, and they've been able to capitalize on Brady's career and get to the big dance, what was it, eight times in, uh, in that span. So, you know, and obviously, Packer fans and Patriot fans, they both have the two best quarterbacks in football on their teams. And there's always going to be the debate, who's the, who's the GOAT, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, blah, 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 all that, all over Twitter. It's been like that for years. In 2014, it was really, really bad. Because obviously they played each other at Lambeau and Packers won, so Page fans naturally they don't like that. So it was just it was a fiery show between the fan bases, <laughs> and I'm assuming it'll be like that Sunday night too tonight specifically. But yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be it's gonna be a great one, definitely one for the ages. And hopefully it's not the last one this season. Hopefully these teams meet again sometime in February. Yeah, I've often said you know I think that. Teams like the Patriots are good for the game uh, because I, I've actually had this conversation with Wayne Larravee before. I was lucky enough to speak with him a couple times, and we were talking about Alabama football specifically and wondering you know, if teams like that are good for the game. And I think they are. And you know, Wayne's point at the time was that you know, a team like that, when you are a fan of a team thinking back, you know, if, if I sat down today, Zach, and I'm sure you agree – if I could say at the beginning of the season, you draw it up, what is your dream scenario for the Packers to win the Super Bowl? And my answer will always be playing the Patriots, down by four, Rodgers first and 10 in his 20, throws a touchdown pass with like seven seconds left, and the Packers beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl. If you're a baseball fan, you know the team that you love to hate is probably the New York Yankees. And if you want your team to win a World Series, it probably is against the Yankees. Or if you're in the American League, you want to beat them along the way. Um, you know, 
college basketball, North Carolina, Duke, whoever your team is, whatever. That team now in the NFL is the Patriots. And that's how I feel. I think the Patriots are good for football, obviously. Um, anytime that you can have a premier quarterback almost exclusively playing on Championship Sunday, which Tom Brady is, it feels like, every single year. And if nothing else, what that gives is the casual viewer someone to either root for or root against. And, you know, that's just kind of how it's worked and for what feels like forever. You know, the Patriots have played in eight Super Bowls, like you mentioned. It's kind of funny to me to look back because the Patriots, you know, the Super Bowls they've won, if you look at the opposing quarterbacks, they've beaten Matt Ryan and Donovan McNabb and Kurt Warner, and the exception in there is kind of Jake DeLome. But for the most part, they've played some really good quarterbacks and had to beat them. And then the quarterbacks they've lost to are Eli Manning twice, who is, in my opinion, going to be the worst Hall of Famer in the Pro Football Hall of Fame when he gets inducted, and Nick Foles, who, God bless his heart, Nick Foles is a backup quarterback. Now, obviously, let's get this out of the way. Wins and losses is not a quarterback statistic, nor is Super Bowl rings. So, with that in mind, here's what I'm going to leave you with before we exit this topic is Aaron Rodgers is better than Peyton Manning, who is better than Tom Brady. There's my point I'll leave you with. Feel free to yell at me. I know a lot of people aren't going to like that one, but I firmly believe that that is the case. So that's how I feel. Um, Zach, obviously this game has some big implications on it. And before we get to that, we actually want to look back a little bit. Ty Montgomery was traded for about the equivalent of a ham sandwich during the week. That was a no-brainer. Montgomery, after his mishap on special teams last week, and then you add in some of his comments and such afterwards, the teammates' comments about him. He wasn't a guy that you could have in the locker room any longer. Not going to be a big void missed. I think Montgomery is still a good player. I think that he has some potential to be a very good player if he's used properly. I'll be curious to see how he does in Baltimore. The good news of that is Andy Benoit is still pulling his hair out because Ty Montgomery got to keep number 88. So I am stoked, if nothing else, for that development. But the big move this past week was the trading of safety HaHa Clinton Dix. Zach, real quick, just kind of give us your thoughts on what exactly were you thinking during the week on if they would trade him or not? And once they did trade him, what are you thinking as that is starting to process in your mind? Well, first of all, a seventh-round pick is not the equivalent of a ham sandwich, okay? Jeff Janis was a seventh-round pick, all right? Okay, so either a ham sandwich or a lord and savior, one of the two. (laughs) <laughs> well, to get back to your point about the Hannah Clinton Dicks trade, when it happened, I was obviously very skeptical because it seemed like a move like that at this point in the season, obviously before the trade deadline, kind of kind of forced your hand a little bit. But to move your the, the face of your defense, well, one of the faces of your defense, arguably the best playmaker on your defense in Clinton Dix, who had the most interceptions amongst any safety since 2016, to trade him to Baltimore after experiencing the kind of defensive back dilemmas this team has the last few seasons after letting guys like Casey Hayward go, Micah Hyde, um, not re-signing Morgan Burnett, who, you know, he isn't doing much right now in, in Pittsburgh, but, you know, point still stands. You know, the Packers were able to get a fourth-round pick in return, so eventually it merited a little bit, and it, I came to the conclusion that, you know, hey, this is not a bad move at all. Because the Packers, obviously, they did not have intentions of re-signing Clinton Dix when his contract is up at the end of the season. So, 
With that being said, why not try and get some form of compensation back for him while you can? And I love this one especially because in the process, you're forcing Mike Penton, you're forcing this entire staff, this defensive staff, to get more creative with their players. For example, moving uh, Tremont Williams to free safety, Clinton Dix's former spot, and, or possibly giving up the shot Breland looks at safety, depending on how, you know, how his recovery is looking, how how he grasps the defense and if he's able to play this week, obviously, in New England. But the Packers have those kind of versatile weapons on defense, which obviously gave him a little more comfort in kind of pulling the trigger on this kind of move. You know, a little more security there that, hey, we got guys that can play in multiple spots. We got guys who can fill in here. They still have Jermaine Whitehead there as well, who's multi-positional. Um, you know, now, looking back, it makes the most sense to get draft compensation back in return. And we know how bad the safety market is. You know, if the Packers didn't re-sign Clinton Dix at the end of the season and he signed elsewhere, the compensation they would have gotten for him, like uh, compensatory picks, they, it probably wouldn't have been much. You know, be, just because of how bad the safety market is. So, you know, it was, I, I thought it was a good move. As much as I hated to see Clinton Dix go, it was, it was a good move. Yeah, and I think that uh, you can see that Brian Gutekunst's thinking was less about the compensatory picks and more so, you know, I'm not going to get that comp pick until 2020 anyways. And as he stated, they'd like to be active in free agency. So I don't know exactly what that means. They have about $45 million in cap space to spend this offseason. That is obviously a show topic for March. But I think it's clear the Packers had no interest in re-signing Clinton Dix. Uh, If they did, obviously this move never would have been made. I know somebody told me this week that it'd be awesome if they just re-signed him in the offseason and you know basically got that fourth-round pick for nothing in that regard. I think there's about a 0% chance of that happening. Um, I, I, think it's, I think there's a lot of things at play here with Clinton Dix. The big one is they didn't have any interest in re-signing him. Second of all, I think that I think there was something at play as far as the locker room goes. Now, I'm not in the locker room every day, so I have no idea. I can't say this is true. I'm only speculating on what I've seen in the press. I really do think that that interview that Clinton Dix gave where he was basically saying, you know, I'm playing like I'm not going to be here next year. I don't think I'm going to be here next year. I think that rubs some people the wrong way. And you can see, I mean, Andy Herman's done a very good job of pointing out Clinton Dix making business decisions on the field. And that happened a lot last year. It's happening a lot, or it was happening a lot this year. I obviously wish him very good luck in Washington, but I think it's a move that, as they got to it, I don't think it downgrades the defense all that much. I think it's possible, actually, that let's get into this a little bit now, is who's going to play those spots now that Clinton Dix is not in the lineup anymore? You mentioned a few guys. It sounds like Tremont Williams is going to be one of the guys uh, that gets kind of the first rep there at safety. With that in mind, they will have to put some other guys on the field. Um, so, for example, Kevin King and Jair Alexander are starting cornerbacks. I think there's no question about that. The guy on the other side, if they're going to play Jair in the slot, is going to be either my son, Joshua Jackson, or Bashad Breland. And I think that that could potentially be an upgrade at the cornerback position. Tremont Williams has played safety in Mike Patton's defense before and did it very well, uh, at least according to Patton. So that is potentially a positive development. And the other point that I kept making was, you know, we kept talking about how 
the Packers' safety position was poor. The play at the safety position was poor. And now it was poor with him in the lineup. I guess my question is how much worse can it be with him in Washington? Uh, And I think that's a fair question at this point. So, Zach, I really say all of that stuff then to say you mentioned some guys, but let's go with Tremont Williams specifically. Is there an excitement level about him playing the safety spot? Is there, like, concern? What What is your thought process on 38 lining up on the back end? Well, he does have experience playing safety, like you mentioned, in Penn's defense. And even at 35 years old, he, he's quick. You know, the guy can still fly. He can go sideline to sideline. He now has the ability to see the field as a whole. Or, you know, depending on the coverage, obviously his side of the field and kind of man that down. As opposed to guarding a guy one-on-one and being forced to rely on, you know, quick hip turning, backpedaling, all that kind of stuff. Now he just gets to free, free roam the field and make plays on the ball wherever he sees it going. You know, he gets to keep his eyes glued to the quarterback and watch his eyes. So I think it's actually, you know, honestly, I think Clinton Dick's going to Washington. I think the Packers upgrade the safety by, like I said, being forced to play guys in different positions and being forced to get creative. So having Jamal Williams there, having other guys that can possibly rotate in, it's all really kind of going to depend on uh, Bashad Brilliant's, uh, Brilliant's availability. Because we know he can be good. We know he can play. He can ball. But... The Packers recently added Tony Brown to their injury report. He's questionable for, for tonight's game. So there might be a little bit of a shortage of quarterback. They just have Alexander, King, Jackson, and if Breland's active, they'll have Breland. If he's not, which there is a possibility that he won't be, he missed the entire offseason program. He, his hamstring injury recently sent him back and learning the defense and grasping hold of it. So they might be a shortage of quarterbacks. They might be forced to play Tremont Williams more at corner and – uh, possibly Jermaine Whitehead a free safety or someone else. You know, so I think within the next few weeks it could be an upgrade to safety. Maybe not Sunday night, but I definitely think it helps the Packers schematically to have Williams back there. Maybe not from a tackling perspective because he's not the best tackler in the world, but neither was Clinton Dix. You know, that could have been a result of him making not for mention business decisions because he knew his contract was going to be up and the team wasn't probably wasn't going to resign him, but. You know, the state of the Packers' stages right now, I think, are a lot better right now than they were a week ago. I think that's fair. Uh, let me let me let you know on a couple things I can promise you. First of all, I can promise you if Tremont Williams is playing safety instead of Kentrell Bryce a couple weeks ago, the Packers beat the Vikings because he intercepts that pass that turned into a touchdown to Adam Thielen. Uh, the other thing that I can promise you is that we're going to find out very quickly tomorrow night whether or not those guys can play back there because Tom Brady, Belichick, Josh McDaniels, those guys are going to test that safety spot early and often. Another thing I really admire about them is once something is working, they figure out, hey, either this unit sucks, this guy sucks, whatever it is, they find that guy and they keep going at you until you stop it with whatever it is that they're doing. So we'll find out. Uh, Ultimately, this isn't a move that can be judged within one game. Uh, it'll be a rest of the season kind of thing, and we'll see at the end of the year if Brian Gutekunst turned out to have made the right decision. 
The other thing uh, to really discuss here, Zach, is whether or not this is a big part of the Packers schedule. We've talked about it. We talked about it last week. They have five games here. They got through the first one with a loss. You can argue that they could have won it, should have won it. They didn't. Uh, and that seems to be kind of the staple of this program here over the last few years is they get close enough to win, but they don't. They haven't actually won that game, if you will, in quite some time. Uh, this week's another one. I honestly think that the Packers season is hanging in the balance. And I say that because of the, the attitude in the locker room. This team very much reminds me of the 1999 uh, Green Bay Packers version, which for those of you that are either too young or have blocked it out of your memory, that team won eight games. They went eight and eight. Ray Rhodes got fired after one year by Ron Wolf. And what happened was the Packers went eight and eight, but they really won quite a few games that year on the heroics of quarterback Brett Favre. And you can argue, at least to this point, that this year's Packers have kind of done the same thing. They've won. They won the Bears game on the heroics of Aaron Rodgers, as we mentioned. The 49ers game was won on the heroics of Aaron Rodgers. There's other games that they've been in. Had they won last week in Los Angeles, it would have been on the heroics of Aaron Rodgers. They just haven't put everything together, and they're overly inconsistent. And you're hearing grumblings from the locker room, and there's questions about whether or not McCarthy's lost the team and all kinds of different stuff. And McCarthy's been here for a very long time. I've been a very loud supporter of his. I think it's at least fair to start asking the question on whether or not his time may very well be up in Green Bay. But I do. I think the season hangs in the balance here. If Green Bay wins this game, it could be a springboard toward something great. If they lose this game, you're sitting 3-4-1, and one, a home game against Miami who's like a – I don't really know how to describe the Dolphins. Actually, they're okay, but they're nothing special. They've beaten some teams they shouldn't have. They've lost to some teams they shouldn't have. They're a strange team. The Seahawks Thursday night game, that feels like an impossible situation just because it's a Thursday night game. It's a tough road environment. Seattle's better than some teams have projected them to be. That certainly matters. And they've never won in U.S. Bank Stadium. So if there's ever a perfect time for your first one, it'll be here in a few weeks. But that's going to be a tough go against the Vikings as well. So I know that the NFC North doesn't have a clear-cut favorite. The Chicago Bears are already 5-3 and three because Nathan Peterman is playing quarterback this afternoon for the Bills, and he is, bar none, the worst quarterback I have ever seen take a snap. So I can't picture the Bears losing that game in any fashion whatsoever. The Vikings have had their struggles, but they obviously have a very good team on paper. The Lions are the Lions. I, don't, I won't respect and fear them until it is very clear that I have to, and even then I'm not sure that I will. So... I say all that, Zach, again to say, does the season hang in the balance here on Sunday night? If Green Bay loses, is the season over? I don't think so, because the reality is this is a week-to-week game, the NFL, football in general. Even if they lose the Patriots, they drop the 3-4-1, and one, they got the Dolphins, that's, an, that's a game at Lambeau where they can get back to 4-4-1, four, four and one. they can get back to an even record, slightly even. That one still bothers me. But, you know, the rest of their schedule, I wouldn't say it's a cupcake schedule because they have the Atlanta Falcons there. But, you know, after that tough stretch of games where they'll go into Seattle and then Minnesota, they'll have the Cardinals and they'll be home for the Falcons. They'll be home for both of those games, going to Chicago, going to New York for the Jets. Then they'll be back home for the Lions, which 
as you said, and which I agree with, there is no reason for the Lions. So, really, even if the Packers lose these next three games against the Patriots, Dolphins, and Seahawks, and they still manage to go into Minnesota and rattle off a win, or if they just win one of these next uh, these next four games, whatever. If they're sitting at six losses for those last five games of the season, and they can go on a run, like I said, it's a week-to-week game. Any team can catch fire at any time, and they can start clicking. And we know, just by watching this Packers team, they are on the cusp of getting it right. They are on the cusp of having that one game where they break out and they put it all together for 60 minutes, start to finish on all three phases of the game, offense, defense, special teams. Eventually, it'll come together. And it's just a matter of when that'll happen. It could happen tonight in New England. It could happen. It could happen uh, um, in the first week of December against the Cardinals. We don't know. So that's the beauty of it. <laughs> you just got to keep watching. But I don't think the season hangs in the balance with, with a loss tonight. If it does come to that, I think the Packers know that the fire is lit under them right now, and they got to stay competitive in that conference. The NFC is stacked. And there are a lot of good teams right now fighting for playoff spots, and we're getting into the nitty-gritty. We're obviously already in November. So this is where things start heating up a little bit. And we're going to find out really what this Packers team is made of. You know, if you can go into Foxborough and rattle off a win, then that's, that's going to say a lot. So just one week at a time. I think you made a fair point there when you're talking about, you know, it's, it's, I think it's fair to say that this team is close. I think you watch every week that, the offense will play here or there, and they're scoring 40 points a game. The defense has looked really good in some stretches as well. And they're going to need a complete game tonight against New England because, as I believe it was Mike McCarthy said this week, it might have been somebody on the team, but I believe it was McCarthy said, this team doesn't beat themselves. So the Patriots are not going to gift wrap anything for you. If you want to beat the Patriots, you have to beat them. Now, that's kind of what leads into our next point here because we're running a little late on time here. Zach, after the Rams game ended, I was as dejected as I've ever been after a regular season loss. Uh, That one has hurt more than any I can remember in recent memory. Uh, This week, obviously, is a new week. I've gotten a little more chipper and a little more optimistic as the week has gone on. My question to you is, is Green Bay going to win tonight? I actually predicted a 27-24 to 24 final score, Packers win. Oh, wow. Okay. All right, so Zach likes Green Bay to win. Here's, oh, here's, wow. Yeah, I know. That's not surprising, I guess. But, <laughs> um, here's, here's, where, here's where I'm at. Um, I think Green Bay matches up well with New England. I think New England's secondary is in shambles. The Packers have an offense that has weapons that can exploit them. Devontae Adams is a top five receiver in the NFL. Zach, there's a plug for you. Top five receiver in the NFL. Thank you. He can exploit whoever it is their best corner is now. Uh, Stephon Gilmore is who that is. The other parts of the secondary are beat up. Marquez Valdez-Scantling I think is very well set up to have a good game tonight. And I have a sneaking suspicion, I'm not sure why, but that Randall Cobb may very well have a big game against New England as well. I think that's possible. I think defensively, Jair Alexander, I i mean, I am blown away by how good this kid has been early in his career. I think he can take away Julian Edelman. 
which is Brady's kind of security blanket. Rob Gronkowski is beat up, which I think will help because that's a matchup that if, if Rob Gronkowski is at full strength, there isn't a player in the league that can guard him. That's just kind of the reality. When you have a great no, player man. like that, there's some guys that are just unguardable. Yeah. Gronk is one of those guys. So, But him not being 100% definitely helps the Packers in that regard. James White, I think, is a little scary just because I'm not sure who Mike Patton is going to match up with him. Uh, I'm sure Patton has an idea, but James White is dynamic as it gets in the passing game as a running back. Josh Gordon, I, I'm not all that concerned about him. Jermaine Whitehead. Could be. Uh, Whitehead is listed as questionable, so it's possible that he doesn't play, but I would imagine he does. Um, if he is, I would imagine definitely he's getting first crack at James White. Obviously, they'll do some different stuff. The Patriots will find ways to get him matched up with Blake Martinez or Oren Burks or whoever it is the Packers have out there. The big thing for the Packers is can they sustain that pass rush that they got last week and hit Tom Brady at least enough to make him uncomfortable. The only thing is, as you've mentioned, Zach, the Packers are close. And teams that are close usually don't have their breakout game against the Patriots. The Patriots don't hand games away. The Packers have done that at least a couple different times this year. Believe me when I say this, I want nothing more than to beat the Patriots. Just because, well, I mean, like I mentioned earlier, if you want to beat a team in this league, it's it's New England. That's who you kind of measure yourself against. But I can't do it. Um, I think New England wins this game. I think they win uh, 28 uh, to 20. And I think you have another frustrated group of Packers fans. Hopefully, I'm wrong. And hopefully they rattle off a win and then rattle off several in a row all the way to a Super Bowl title. But that is where I'm at as of right now. So Zach likes Green Bay. I like New England. Uh, well, I don't like New England, but I think Green Bay's or New England's going to win. I should say it that way. Um, want to thank you guys for listening in to this show. It's been a lot of fun. Like I said, a hundred episodes. We've had a lot of great people on the show. It's been fun to be a part of. Thank you to Andy Herman for allowing us to do that. Thank you for everybody else that does this show. Thank you for the listeners um, that have interacted with us. It's been a fun week with you guys. Um, maybe because of the way last week's game ended. I'm not sure. Maybe because of the way that just everything has worked out. It's been an interesting time in Packerland for sure. Zach, they want to interact with you more than they do me. I know that. So where can they find you on Twitter? Oh, that's not true. <laughs> but if it is, by some stroke of luck, then you guys can find me on Twitter at Zach A. Jacobson. And you can find me on Chainset TV as well. But I'm assuming you don't want to do that, so just go find Jacob instead. Jacob, what's your Twitter? <laughs> My Twitter is at Jacob Westendorf. You guys have definitely talked to me a lot over the last few weeks. I appreciate that. If you are an Ohio State Buckeye fan, be sure to avoid my Twitter for a few weeks because I have a pretty singular thought process about them here in the next few weeks. But for now, it's Packers, it's Patriots, the greatest quarterback of all time against Tom Brady on Sunday Night Football. Al Michaels, Chris Collinsworth on the call. It'll start at 7.20. Thank you guys for listening in to Pack-A-Day and Go Pack Go! Six trailing 30 to 23. Two minutes straight up to go in the game. San Francisco showing a blitz through the A gap, and here they come. Rogers looking. Throws left side of the end zone. Yes! Devontae Adams left corner of the end zone from Aaron Rodgers. 
16-yard touchdown pass. The Packers an extra point away from getting this game tied. Beathard on third down and three in the shotgun. Football to the 46 at Green Bay. Packers showing a blitz, and here they come. Beathard looking, hit as he throws it. Deep down the right sideline, and intercepted on the play. Spectacular interception by Kevin King at the nine-yard line of Green Bay. Sam to Rogers looking right. Throws the right side. St. Brown makes the catch. Inside the 30 of the 28-yard line. Snap to Rodgers. Looking downfield. Throws the left side. Devontae's got it. Out of bounds inside the 10-yard line. Oh, my goodness. What a throw and catch. Again, they beat Maven down the left sideline. Hunter Bradley, the snap. J.K. Scott down on one knee. Arm extended. Here it is. Placement made. Kick is up. It is good. It is good. Mason Crosby delivers the dagger. One week after his worst day ever, he delivers the dagger tonight. And the Packers win 33-30.